What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your quarantined look at what's going on in pop culture this week. My name is Pat Sheehan with my trusty co-host Dave Marson. Dave, you wash those hands, boy? That's right. Corona crew in the building. We here <laughs> every week still. Stay COVID subscribed. 2019-2020 in the house. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe. I'm wearing my, my weekend glasses in anticipation for that new album coming out next week uh but no dave i've been working from home man uh we're we're up in in that quarantine we're trying to social distance as much as possible uh we're trying to make the 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 long curve flatten the curve flatten the curve man um do your part wash it wash those hands stay away from your face cough into your elbow all that good i'll admit i'm very bad at staying away from my face like I always touch my face. It's not going well. Yeah. It, the, the second you start thinking about it, you start realizing like you're like leaning on your, your hand or just like, oh, all the time. It's, it's all terrible. the time. Um, but Dave, we got to start with the Corona man. Cause you know, we, we talk about what's going on in the culture and nothing has grabbed the culture more than the Corona and oh, just God. squashed it like a bug. Uh, Cause sports, Concerts, gatherings of 50 or more people, even 25 or more people in some places are now canceled. So pretty much everybody's at home. The, the usual things aren't, aren't out there. We can't go to the movies. Uh, you, re- you got in a couple movies this week we'll be talking about. but I had to get them in. The last, the last, the last hurrah. I had, to, has... had to probably get the virus to see a few <laughs> last movies. That's why I'm here for you. See what a movies. sacrifice. Yeah, if you're not subscribing for Dave getting the virus to bring you that content, I mean, what what, what else can we do at this point? I made sure um, no one was near me. I, I was very distant in the theater, but a guy was coughing. I one of them in the back a few times, and the peop- I, I looked back. I noticed other people in there were also looking back, and I was like, this fucker. There's like five <laughs> people here, and one of you sick. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny because like, I, I was at work this morning as we were shutting down to work from home, and I just like got some dust in my nose and sneezed. And literally I think like everybody in my office just like turned and like looked at me and I was like, what the fuck? I just like, it's just a sneeze. I feel fine. Like it's nothing serious. Witch burner. Yeah, exactly. I like had to get out of there. So how, how has your self quarantine been going with no sports, no fantasy, no, no nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, dude. The obviously all the sports basically worldwide, except for like fucking Russia, I guess who uh, are done postponed indefinitely at this point and that is that is weird you know it's like i don't watch a ton of full games but i do watch a lot and obviously not having a fantasy team to check for the first time in like 15 years <laughs> it's just a very weird feeling for me like i instinctively like go and click on the app fantasy app like i'm want to do whenever i turn on my phone because i'm freaking degenerate when it comes to this shit <laughs> and it's like oh wait there's nothing to do there's nothing new to read there's no updates. This is this is like a void, you know. Yeah. Um, like speaking of the cancellations too, I mean, I mean what Coachella, Stagecoach, I think those are the only music festivals so far. Ultra maybe like Ultra, a lot of the festivals yeah. are like we're are still kind of like outside this initial like eight week window, so it's like TBD for those. But mm-hmm. you know, t- tough to be too confident about anything. And I mean, I know as of the time of recording, Regal Cinemas is shutting down. As of Tuesday, I'd imagine AMC and Cinemark will follow suit. So mm. movies are uh, about to be completely done. Um, 
especially, you know, they're already done in like New York and LA. So that, that that's done, you know, and all the, well, all the, I think, you know, I think we really, the, the wave for, you know, last week was when we started seeing big movies getting pulled off the release calendar, you know, mm-hmm. and like fast nine universals like, are, right, you know what, how about April, 2021? We're not taking any chances with this box office. We're going to yeah. wait a full year for a yeah. movie that's done. You know, that's how, that's how big these investments are. And obviously Mulan and, Quiet Place 2 also pulled. Um, I guess now we're waiting. Uh, well, Black Widow, beginning of May, hmm. get the boot. That's kind of the one people are waiting on because that's actually coming before when Fast 9 was supposed to come. So, TBD. Yeah, man, there's definitely a bit of a domino effect, you know. I think uh, the the festival I'm most interested in is Boston Calling, yep. right? Because Boston Calling this year really went all out. They got Rage Against the Machine, Foo Fighters, and Red Hot Chili Peppers, three huge headliners, they bump their ticket prices up to four fifty, and they're going to be falling right outside of that that yeah. eight week window. End of May. So, uh, if if any festival is going to try to stick this out and make this happen, it's got to be them because this is this is their play. They went all in to try to bump this fest up, and, and if they have to cancel this or move it back, it could be disastrous for them. Um, uh, the the movies I think we, we kind of expected you know uh, I didn't expect a whole year but I understand Fast Nine doesn't want that bag to be touched at all so uh, you know can't, can't blame them I'm intrigued by these these uh, like Universal saying that they're going to be dropping some of their films for for right. streaming purposes right they they announced today that um, the Hunt which uh, didn't do so well at the box office as they kind of fell right into the weekend with the cord. People started self-quarantining, yep. uh, social distancing. The Invisible Man, which already has had pretty good box office, I believe over 140 mil. Yeah, success. Um, and Trolls, which is going to be dropping on April 10th, will all be yeah. available for $20 on video on demand. Um, pretty interesting. How, would you, I think you've already seen, have you seen The Hunt? You did see The Hunt. We're talking so about The Hunt. Today. I've seen Emma. Um, I wasn't going to see Trolls anyway, and I'm a, too much of a coward to see The Invisible Man, otherwise we've already seen that. But yeah, I think obviously this is kind of something that pe- some people have wished would happen sooner, you know, uh, how about, like Trolls, I think, you know, Trolls is sticking to its original release date. Uh, I think we all know there won't, it won't be in any theaters because there won't be any theaters left to show it, but uh, that's a day and date drop, you know, and $20, I think, is actually a really enticing price point. You know, I mean, you think, I think people have been throwing this idea out the past few days, but you think back to, remember a few years ago, we talked about it, Sean Parker's The Screening Room. Mm-hmm. It was like, you have this like box in your house and you get, you pay like $50, whatever it was for a day one release of a brand new film. And like, you know, 20, I mean, if you have your whole family watching for 20 bucks, that's a really good deal. Hell of a deal. So that, I mean, that's why I don't think that's a realistic price point long term. I think it's important to note that all these movies are out already, especially Invisible Man is already a success. Now Trolls, twenty bucks from the jump, and The Hunt. You know, obviously Hunt Hunt didn't Hunt didn't do dick this week. I mean, we just had the lowest box office weekend since October of nineteen ninety eight, fifty five point three million total. So, I'll be interesting to see who else follows suit. As of recording, it's just these those few Universal films. It's not a blanket policy either. It's very much you know a product of the environment we're in. I don't think this spells any doom for the theatrical model long term or anything like that. That would be certainly premature to say that much. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's kind of wild. And seeing that a long time alongside CinemaCon being canceled, which is all about the theater going experience. Mm. Um, it, it's just it's just crazy times, man. You got to feel for like 
especially like independent theaters, smaller theaters, you know, are art venues that don't have really any margins to speak of. And uh, not everything is going to open up back up when this is all said and done. You know, we're, we're, we're going to lose a lot of stuff as a result of this, you know, just business, business across the, across the world, across industry. So it's, uh, it's, it's crazy, you know, it's kind of wild how fast things have changed. And now I feel like the only thing on people's mind is like, when does life get back to normal? Cause like back to normal feeling only like a week and a half ago, probably for most people, uh, just feels so foreign, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I keep thinking back to this past Wednesday when, you know, like the whole thing went down with Rudy Gobert and you know, within like the span of an hour, we had the president making a, uh, address to the nation, uh, banning travel between some European countries and the United States. And then Tom Hanks was, uh, diagnosed with as a positive coronavirus yep. carrier. And then, uh, then you had Rudy Gobert basically shutting down the NBA, uh, with not, not taking it seriously. Um, and, and basically the next day, everything shut down Thursday, all major sports, uh, leagues postponed their season. Uh, the March Madness was postponed and to just think like, we're four days removed and how long it feels and how, how much there is just to consume every day. I feel like the only thing I'm thinking about and talking about right now is the, the, the COVID-19. So it's, um, it, I, I think this, like a, a podcast like this podcast in general, but also like TV movies this time are so needed to provide yeah. a sense of normalcy and a reprieve from the stress. Cause there's a lot of fear out there right now. So yeah. uh, I applaud universal for taking the step. I hope some others do. I wanted to ask you, let's say, let's say they were, they were like fast nine. We're going to drop it. What, what's, what's, what's the price point for you? It's high. Say? It's what high. Would you say, like 60. Yeah, probably. I don't have a great, t- I don't have, I use a small TV. I, I, I would mm. prefer to see it on someone else's really good TV, but yeah, fuck yeah. I would mm. do that shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder, I mean, there, I was, I was just excited that. for the movie in general after that insane trailer as fast as want to do so yeah i was yeah. that's it just a, you know just mainly speaking it's just kind of a bummer not to wait a whole other year for that you know i was excited for that one yeah i'm i'm wondering uh what marvel's gonna do with black widow that's kind of the interesting right. one there because it's right there if if that doesn't do well you know you're kicking off this this next leg of the marvel universe it, i mean it's not necessarily crucial to the future but Certainly one of the, right. yeah, some big stars in that. You know, it was interesting too, just like, I think just general observation that 2020 was not expected to be as strong a box office year as 2019 because 2019, as we've said, had, you know, so many anticipated things, Toy Story, Frozen, Star Wars, Endgame, um, you know, so, so many uh, Aladdin, so many big ticket things, Lion King, right? There's so many big ticket things. 2020 already didn't really have that. And it was really up to like, you're no time to die. So you're fast nines mm-hmm. to really like drive, drive non Disney box office in a year where even Disney doesn't have really that many big heavy hitters. And just to see so many, uh, basically all the studios at this point have their, their plans uprooted. Like in a sense, maybe we're almost giving a mulligan. Now it's like the 2020 box office expected downturn almost is like a moot point now because you know, the, the ability to compete went away. Um, but you, I mean, you saw Frozen Two get moved up several months on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. and Hulu uh, moved up big time adolescence by a week, which we'll be getting to. So, I will not be surprised if Netflix has something they're probably 
close to ready. You know, I'm my sure. guess is something like Umbrella Academy season two or something. So we have to basically we assume it's done, already got shot. If they Russian move that doll. Up, Russian doll, sure. Yeah, anything like that. Hmm. So Russian doll um, could be really good though. I mean, yeah, I mean, right now, hopefully most music releases still um, last, although, you know, with the inability to tour, at least in the short term, that might push some things back, tough to say. But any TV that's finished um, should still release, and that'll probably be the main driver, because like you said, uh, people need that reprieve at a time where they can't go out to the movies, and there's no sports to lose yourself in either. So, crazy times, man. Certainly crazy times, and... uh... You know, I'm, I'm going to switch it up here a little bit from what we were going, what, the order we were going to go in, because we're talking about crazy times. Let's talk about Jay Electronica dropping <laughs> right. an album from uh, from the clouds. I mean, uh, Jay Electronica, what his first mixtape, the Act One, Eternal Sunshine, the Pledge was 2007. That's 2008? right. Yes, and seven. We're, we're getting this 13 years later after a, what six, seven promised mixtape and album drops that came and passed even with track listings and collaborations mm-hmm. and uh it's kind of amazing the timing of all of this right because oh, what people forever were saying uh the the, the tweet you sent me uh, what's gonna come first jay electronica album or nick's um yeah fucking nick's championship said that yeah. like six years ago that tweet <laughs> <laughs> and the, it feels a bit like like the world is ending right now. I know it's not, but it feels that way with everything shutting down. And here comes the J Electronica album right on time. Yeah, yeah. If, for the, the uninitiated, the J Electronica debut album that just had never came was basically like Dr. Dre's Detox. It was just kind of a running gag, some mythical thing that no one had any faith in existing. And then, especially once Dre said Detox was done, he's not going to come. It's like, all right, well, this Jay Electronica, it's like whenever he talked, whenever he said any comment at all, whether it's about his own music or not, everyone's like, yeah, bro, like, get back in the studio. Like, let's, let's get to work here, you know? And, like, like, he's been on The Rock. He's been signed The Rock Nation since 2010. He's, like, one of their first artists. And he's released no, uh, nothing but loose singles on The Rock. And, and, and there was like it's a just nuts war, right? that like, we're actually did- getting it now because it's, it, it's kind of another like sign of the, the apocalypse, another four horsemen act. The Jay Electronica album happened. You know, it's like, oh, the times are ending. Better get it out now. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I think it's important to note too that the reason this was such an anticipated project album is because Jay Electronica was such a tantalizing talent. Um, Exhibit C uh, from 2009, you know, this booming just blaze beat this incredibly dexterous lyricism using multiple languages to both rhyme and make sense content wise uh you know it was perhaps the best rap song of the year one of the best rap songs of all time it's really one of those undeniable things and just the inability for jay to capitalize on that after signing the rock nation was just kind of confounding dude and his, I think his debut rock single, Shiny Suit Theory, is back again on this album, A Written Testimony, which is kind of hilarious because that song is 10 years old. Um, yep. But it's here and it's kind of wild, man. Actually, no, uh, just a side note, Jay Electronica popped up on Mac Miller's second album, Watching Movies. And I think that was one of those first like signs to the larger hip hop community that, yeah, Mac Miller is like about that rap shit. Like he got Jay Electronica to give him a verse. Like no one really does that. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you remember him, he was on Coloring Book with Chance and uh, Big Sean and Kendrick Lamar's song Control. He was also on that as well. People kind of forget that one. But yeah, man, uh, it's finally it's finally happened. I saw him at Governor's Ball. 
three years ago. How was he? He was good. He was like two o'clock. It was an early set. Uh, but he had like people jump up on stage. He, like he walked into the crowd. He was doing his shit a cappella. Really impressive for a guy. You know, he's like I think he's like forty three now. He's not a young young guy or anything. But yeah, he, he's he he was good. And like it was cool to see like people in the crowd like knowing his songs because like yeah, he's probably only got like oh I don't know maybe like twenty something official songs out coming into this album. But people know his shit because he's just you know he's a, a guy about the bars and. And now, now I think people are kind of getting reacquainted just generally with a written testimony. You know, when, when, once the, the teases started happening last week and like I saw like Spotify and Apple Music doing it too, I was like, oh, wait, okay. It actually is real now. Like that's a sign. Shit. Uh-huh. And then it's, just, <laughs> yeah, here we are. I mean, what, what did you think? Did you know much about his music before? Like I actually listened to Exhibit C a ton this weekend too. Like I started the album twice this week and I'm like, wait a minute. And I put on Exhibit C again instead before I got into a written testimony. <laughs> well, yeah. What, what, yeah. What, are you, what are your what are your thoughts going in? I mean, I'm I'm familiar with uh, his verses on like the the chant song you mentioned with Mac Miller, like the that, and I've heard Exhibit C. It's a fucking awesome song. I wouldn't say I like know uh, Act One like front to back. I'm not like listening to Jay Electronica in my spare time all the time, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm aware of the talent, and it almost seems like like he came on the scene so quickly and was almost like anointed as like this next like great yeah. thing. And that almost like set him back to becoming this artist. Cause in some of the interviews that I've been reading um, around this album, it seems like he felt a lot of pressure to, to write and, and make something that's really strong. And I, I actually almost wonder um, if it's obviously he, if, if he's giving Mac a verse and that's, I think maybe a propelling uh, force behind this you know like he losing someone that was obviously meaningful in the rap community but he obviously had some connection with but also it, having jay-z buoy this album so much i mean he's on eight of the ten songs um or tracks i should say because i think the first one i don't even know if we can really call it a song more like a yeah, intro track um and jay goes really hard on this jay- jay-z goes really hard on this album i should say and jay electronic right. is great but it almost felt like he maybe he needed jay to take a little bit of that pressure off him and to say like i'm gonna like we're gonna get you through this first one almost get that monkey off your back and give mm-hmm. him a shot to take some of that pressure away because he was like labeled the next nas from everything I, I i can recall like people are saying yep he's that good lyrically yeah no, that's that's uh, that's right and yeah there's a lot of jay-z on this and i think i would actually say there's probably too much i would have preferred mm-hmm. more jay electronica verses um i think that's actually an astute point they just kind of had their theme and they just wanted to finish it and finally execute on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope Jay like electronica can become a little more active at least as much as he can, just because you know, we, we still haven't heard a whole lot from him, but you know, I think maybe that's okay too, because if he's going to be a less is more guy, I think he's certainly making really thoughtful music and even getting really inspired performances from Jay-Z. Like I think Jay-Z is way better on this than he was on like the Carter's album. He did with Beyonce. Oh, yeah. um, For sure. So yeah, maybe that balance a little off, but I mean, Jay-Z has never been this, in, this, this involved with a rock nation album that wasn't his own. So mm-hmm. I think that still counts for something. Definitely. And, uh, you know, I, I agree. I think there is maybe a little bit too much Jay-Z. I think he actually out, outshines Jay Electronica on his own, own album. I mean, even the first 
real like rapt verse on this because mm -hmm. like, like we said the intro track is just more spoken word is jay-z coming in hot on the the second track um uh, ghost of soldier slim which is a great song and the the thing is there's not a lot of songs on here that i would say i, I would want to skip through or i wouldn't listen back through i think they're really well made they sound awesome um i love the the choices that they made sonically in this i think they really infuse uh, some like very cool samples and, and like an old school vibe to this that mm -hmm. while still also um really spitting some some really smart bars and like i said i think jay especially on like flux capacitor um yeah. just goes so hard and it's just like ethering a whole thing and what i think there's what one or two songs fruits of the spirit which is just jay electronica i thought that's yeah. a great great too and even though it's quick he he comes with it so uh really strong showing i just want a little bit more but i think that's kind of like the uh that's kind of the the story of his his career right is everybody yep. wants a little bit more from him and He's just gonna piecemeal it to you. Yeah, I think that's right, and uh, it's important that this is not a flop. This is good, mm -hmm. and uh, I think we all thought. I, I don't think any, there was any real, like, real expectation that Jayastronic would ever deliver anything bad. But it's so, I guess, reassuring to see him, you know, deliver something that is, you know, quite, quite conceptual. You know, he's always been someone to really talk about religion in interesting yeah. ways, kind of openly, candidly, and. Uh, you know, using kind of like soulful, I don't want to say gospel because that makes you think of like Kanye right now, but like, like, I, I don't know, like religious samples, like, like the tone of voice, the uh, the vibe you get is just kind of like really almost like, like sermony. And yeah. that being said, though, I think the most memorable moment on the album is what was the most talked about on social media. It's on Flux Capacitor, but that's, of course, Jay Z's performance when he's talking about. Uh, criticism he got for working with the NFL mm -hmm. and also then kind of churning that into like, don't chase clout by posting pictures with me if I die. And like mm -hmm. some really introspective shit from Jay Z, which is again, great to hear him. So uh, lucid and thoughtful given again, how long it's been in the game. But yeah, I think Jay Electronica for me, I think, you know, he produced a lot of this too. And I, I think I didn't love the overall production all the time, but it was always congruous with like what he was going for on the album. So I still respect it. And there are actually a few moments I think where Jay Z he he was almost like Eminem'ing with his delivery. Like he was really like spitting out those verses fast. And there are a few times I was like, "We can slow down here. It's okay." Um, yeah. But overall, <laughs> I, I dug it. I think Flux Capacitor is my favorite song. But I also like the Never Ending Story as well. <laughs> Yeah, never ending ending story is a cool switch up on it, um, where where they they go back and forth. A lot of the dream on here, uh, Travis Scott also on on one of the tracks, but that was really kind of weird to like me. A, a Not game. sure why Travis was there. Yeah, uh, definitely strange, but still like if you can get Travis Scott on on the track at this point, he's incredible. Yeah, high, I guess one of his better features in a while uh, though, so that's good. Sure. Um, yeah, I thought I thought there were a lot of lot lot. There's a lot to like from this, um, but again, uh, leave me wanting more, Jay Electronica. Hopefully <laughs> we get an album that's a little bit more him next time. Uh, but we'll be adding Flex Capacitor to our Nostalgia Best of 2020. Uh, Jack Harlow, this uh, up-and-coming whippersnapper. You know, we go from a 43-year-old Jay Electronica who's releasing his debut album to Jack Harlow, who's dropped like 
six EPs, like 80 EPs, something like that. Uh, yeah. One every year since 2014. And it uh, seems to be growing in stature over the last couple of years. You know, um, last year he dropped Confetti, which got some commercial attention. And then it seems like this most recent drop is probably going to get a little bit more with uh, Sweet Action. Dropped on his 22nd birthday. Dave, how are you feeling about Jack Harlow's latest uh, yeah. EP? Yeah, yeah. I think it's so Jack Harlow's from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And on Confetti last year, he has a feature from Bryson Tiller, uh, also of Louisville. So I think that was an uh, important moment for him to get the cosign and also having Bryson show up at the music video. Uh, you know, getting the, uh, the, the current, you know, star of the city to kind of cosign you like that, I think was an important moment for him. But I mean, what really got us here, the reason we're talking about Jack Harlow, he was not someone I was super up on that would of course be the debut single off sweet action what's poppin which mm-hmm. came out on january 21st and that well you know got a cole bennett music video and that song just kind of took off and blew up and it's you know like 50 something million streams right now 61 million streams on spotify right now it's on the billboard chart so that kind of you know is one of those career changing singles and i think you know he's been signed to Generation Now, which of course is DJ Drama's label from Atlantic that Uzi has had issues with recently. Seems to be all good right now, though. Uh, he's been grinding, but he finally got that pop with What's Poppin'. And now he's on everyone's radar. And, you know, I, I, I don't think there's anything as good as What's Poppin' on here, What's Poppin', which is already on our Nostalgia Best 2020 Spotify playlist. Follow that. That's one of those, like, just rapping ass bar songs where like the flow is just so infectious and it's a great beat and it's just, you know, a simple banger, not much to it, but it's a really fun song. You can you understand why it's getting streamed the hell right now. And on sweet action, I was actually surprised to hear Jack do some other sounds than what's popping. And I think that, uh, that I guess foresight to, you know, diversify his career even more. Um, Please me confident that we'll be hearing a lot from him in the future because songs like too stylish and I want to see some ass. Those are kind of like more like Russ vibe songs, you know, definitely yeah. not what you get from what's popping. So that, that was a unexpected, you know, I mean, this is a 15 minute EP mixtape, whatever. It, it, it's really just capitalizing off the success of what's popping, but um, I'm certainly intrigued moving forward. I mean, what would you think? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think the album or the the EP is almost hurt by how much better what's popping is from anything else that's on here. Yeah, um, for sure. Because after that, I was like ready to go, and it just kind of felt like okay, nah, nothing else really grabbed me as much. But I did find myself kind of bobbing along. It was a nice listen. Um, I don't think anything here is gonna uh, skyrocket him further than what's popping. But ride that wave, man. And like you said, he's the, he's diversifying sound a little bit. Um, I thought Hey Big Head actually was probably one of my favorite ones, just kind of a, a lower key, more just like vibe to it. It seemed like he really was trying to play with melody a lot and try to yeah. like switch that up throughout. So I give him some some credit, like you said, for trying to just try to try some different things and see what else he can thrive at or maybe work on. Um, obviously, still very young, only 22. He's put out a lot of things, and to see him continue to grow uh, to finally have like a huge hit like that i think there's there's a lot of potential just gotta kind of keep grinding yep. on it the louisville rap scene 
<laughs> I'm very intrigued by because you know you, you you think about like there's there's New York, there's West Coast, there's uh, Atlanta, even Texas. You know, and we've been talking more yep, and more Houston. about Florida recently. But Louisville, yeah, Houston, Louisville is not a place we talk much about the rap the rap scene, I guess. So uh, interesting to see what the influence is going to be like out of there. I mean, Bryson Tiller is not somebody I think much about. So um, maybe Jack Harlow can be the the real godfather of Louisville. <laughs> yeah. You don't know anyone else from it. Nope. Those are really the only two of any consequence. And Bryson Tiller is more of a, you know, an R and B artist first anyway. So yeah. Um, I think Jack Harlow is a likely candidate for XXL this year. Probably talking about that in the coming weeks, but yeah. Um, not a lot of people make something as high as what's popping. So kudos for that man. ride that wave. Like you said, Absolutely. Uh, also, you mentioned this before, Dave, riding that Corona wave was Hulu with big time adolescents dropping a week early um, because they wanted people to watch this. And people had nothing else to watch this weekend. And, uh, you know, it's dropped from it's dropped at Sundance this past year and who scooped it up yeah. starring Pete Davidson. Sundance last year, 2019. Last year, 2019. Yeah. We've been waiting over a year. That's about as long as it gets for a Sundance for release. So it's been a minute. Who didn't and, have it until like last fall either? It's been a while. And we've been talking quite a bit about Pete Davidson recently because uh, we, we just talked about a stand-up special. Check out that breakout. Um, Dave, was this worth the wait for you? Because um, I... This has pretty good reviews online. 88% mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes, yep. posi- very, fairly positive, 6.9 Metacritic, I believe. Um, was this uh, worth I, the wait for you, though? I, I liked it a lot, yeah. I think it was playing really into Pete's strengths. Uh, we talked Again, we talked a lot about it on Live from New York, um, about Pete's, you know, I guess, lack of really refinement as a stand-up comic, and then kind of talked more about his overall personality and the SNL news he had been making waves with recently and you know that special was directed by the director of big time adolescence jason was it olshay or orly fuck everyone orly jason orly yeah this is his feature feature debut it's pretty pretty strong debut it's a it's a solid uh front to back coming of age story and Mm -hmm. you know i think I, i think pete uh it wasn't like stunt cast in this. It's like, oh, Pete Davidson's hot. Let's get him in a movie. It seemed like he was kind of well suited for this role as playing into the persona he kind of has as kind of like that, like dirt baggy bro, you know? And the lot mm-hmm. buoyed with a uh, Griffin Gluck, who we remember from American Vandal, among other things. Um, you know, I, I just fa- I found it funny, and uh, that's obviously what we want from Pete at the end of the day. But you know, again, solid, solid coming of age coming of age story i guess plotting wise nothing is like super uh out of this world it's like i guess it's a predictable uh narrative arc but you know i enjoy it front to back you know it's only 90 minutes but the rest of the cast is enjoyable too you have machine gun kelly just kind of chilling <laughs> saying some saying some jokes uh Sydney yep. sweeney of course we know from euphoria mm-hmm. and uh thomas and Th- thomas uh, barbuska who i feel like people yeah, have known yeah. a long time since he was on the league and uh but also course, project John, dex right well no, he's he not like pro- the no he the friend no no he's not project dex you're thinking of uh 
funny the guy you're thinking of from project x was in mindhunter as one of the serial killers i forget his oh, name oh you're right um, yeah, he's too old this guy yeah, this, yeah. this kid reminded me just of that, that guy. no i i 100 agree yeah and john crier is uh, the dad <laughs> haven't seen much of him and shot john crier retweeting me on twitter didn't even add him <laughs> um yeah he's just he's just searching for uh big time adolescence like retweet retweet um yeah you know uh, I thought this was pretty good and where, where I actually probably what the choice I, I like the most is kind of what I expected to be happening with this, this uh, plot. And I guess if you don't want the plot spoiled too much, check it out, but, or fast forward a little bit um, was I expected it there to be that, that moment where they both kind of go their separate ways, but they come back together and Pete's really made his, uh, he's made his choices and he's he start finally improving his life and taking things seriously. And right. And so is Mo and uh, they have a conversation. It seems like it's going that way. And then, Nope. You find out that uh, hmm. the character Pete Davidson plays Zeke is uh, still a fuck up and just a loser. Yep. And I, I didn't write it really yet. Not going yeah, it's in my head. Right. Yep. It's all, uh, it's all maybes and, and what ifs. And uh, I think that last shot of Mo kind of driving away and you just see, mm-hmm. Zeke like in like kind of fading in the background is is an apt ending but also one that I didn't expect because I kind of expected just a happy overall ending and uh, right um, overall I thought the performances were pretty good I think the uh there's enough entertaining stuff in here especially I really liked the the chemistry between Una Lawrence and Griffin Gluck I thought Una Lawrence was really great as yeah. the I forgot her name the love interest um, yeah I forgot her name too the, the but um overall really solid um and you know i wasn't expecting much from this uh but i i was pleasantly surprised um did you have any moments or anything that really stood out for you throughout uh yeah it's it's kind of funny like early on you uh the the movie kind of it shows you that it's i think a little more uh uh hip to how how things work and understands how relationships are these days where uh zeke has uh his uh uh uh, mo's sister i believe it was breaks up with him earlier on the movie and he's like in zeke's like what i I just liked her picture i didn't fuck her what she she lost a lot of weight and you know i threw her like what's the big deal or whatever he said you know that's hilarious that's actually like super super accurate by the way Mm -hmm. um that's funny uh i also laughed at the uh comment zeke gives to mo early on about how you have to uh masturbate before having sex so you don't uh finish fast and i'm like yep every guy's been told that that that's mm-hmm. also spot on um and then lastly the uh scene where they're playing 40 hands you know taping yes. 40s to your hands i was like hell yeah uh but also inaccurate <laughs> the, the, the thing about having to pee and like not being able to pull your pants down is fake that's not a real problem unless you take like an hour to drink your 40s so i just want to say if someone experienced that is an inaccurate scene but I still laugh the whole time. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, at the, yeah, if you take a long time or if you're drinking out of both, you know, if you're, if you're not uh, smart and drinking just one first and the other, sure. you're certainly going <laughs> to find yourself in that sort of situation. But anyone who's ever done it, I think knows that it's not. How you do it. <laughs> we're, we're cool. We drink. So that's there right. You go. Especially um, now. But, <laughs> nothing else to do. <laughs> I, I really thought the, uh, the scene where uh, Mo comes home high and they like oh, God, about yeah. it. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I also just something about the, the scenes I, I remember most are really the ones between Mo and, and the girl he's interested in. 
um, at the parties. Cause I feel like yeah. they felt so real and like so awkward. Um, and like the, the intimidation of like the older kids in those situations just felt so accurate. So, uh, had, had some flashbacks to my high school experience. Cause I was not a cool kid in high school. Like I am now with all my Me drinking skills. <laughs> oh dave i'm I'm shocked that's two two like nerds talking on a podcast not the cool kids in at their high school um you know it it's interesting because it, i think you you made a really good point talking about Pete, and we where we left off talking after his stand-up was like what do we want from him moving forward and this felt like almost kind of like a perfect lane for him right where it, it really played to his strengths and who he is um, but I just don't know how many of these sort of roles are going to be out there for him or how much sure. he can do this pat- like until it becomes old. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that's fair. You know, again, with this role, he gets to really play into his comedic timing well, I mm-hmm. think, you know, and, and in a sense, does kind of juggle a bit of levity versus some heavier moments. You know, the, the movie never gets super dark. But you can tell Pete's kind of uh, varying it up as the character does various things, you know. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm thinking like there are people that effectively do the same thing a lot in comedy. Uh, probably one of the greatest, of course, like Will Ferrell, for example, does a lot of the same stuff all the time. Obviously, not comparing those two on a skill or a talent level, but. I think there's a lane as long as Pete stays hot. And, you know, again, he's a tabloid fixture. I think he's going to stay hot for a while. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I think this kind of the bookend, this big time adolescence was supposed to release last weekend in a few theaters. I think it did, but you know, like big cities only. And then it was going to come out this Friday. 95% of people more than that, probably will associate this as a streaming movie, a Hulu film. Mm-hmm. And I'd say big time adolescence is definitely towards the top of people's lists. Cause you know, I think people, we have a, we have a lower expectation for things we watch on streaming for and sure. a little more of a tolerance for mediocrity. Um, so would I think big time adolescence being, I think really good at what it's trying to do. This will probably impress a lot of people just cause they're, as you, as you were saying too, uh, you were not expecting anything. I think as polished as this, no. And again, it's a Sundance movie, so that, that I guess that should be expected a little bit. But yeah, I was uh, very happy with it. So I'm, hope, I'm hoping to see more of Pete in the movies because, again, as we said before, his SNL days are definitely numbered. For sure. Um, Dave, you made it out to some movies. You braved the elements, the, the, the corona, to bring us The Hunt and First Cow. Which one do you want to talk about first? Well, let's do The Hunt first. The most uh, controversial movie of 2019 that didn't actually come out. That's right. It was supposed How to come controversial out. Controversial is this, Dave? That's the thing. Like it was supposed to come out in August, and then uh, right wing media got hold of the general plot and thus thought this was Hollywood uh, bashing bashing normal working class people as Hollywood's agendas want to do. And you can imagine how that went. You can look up what happened. Even our president. Uh, commented on it and how it was unfairly portraying yada yada right and thus universal pulled it from the calendar we even talked about that happening and how that was stupid and um well and there was also it was around the el paso shooting too that's true it was not well timed with the 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 the, the dayton shooting too there was there were several shootings at that time so i think people were like Mm -hmm. oh a, a, a movie about people willingly killing other people and maybe not the best right now so i understand that suddenly but I was happy that uh, 
Universal and Blumhouse were like, all right, fuck it, we'll put this back out and market it. And I think in a normal uh, box office uh, environment, this would have done a lot better. It did like 5.3 million, but again, this was the worst box office weekend in since 98. So not really going to blame them. And it also, as a Blumhouse movie, was super cheap. It was like under 20 million bucks. So not really much of a loss anyway. But yeah, is it, is it controversial? Does it warrant this much... Uh, this much ire from people and thus hand-wringing about no release the hunt you must release it uh no simple answer no it's uh <laughs> very it's a very over it's very over the top about anything it's handling politically um i think the basic concept is that uh, uh rich uh wealthy uh neoliberals elites kidnap uh right-wing people from america and put them in this area and then kill them and that, that, that that's the premise pretty pretty over the top right and from the jump mm-hmm. uh these 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 neo libs these left wingers are portrayed as the bad guys cuz they're the evil people in the story which is funny cuz the controversy was saying that this was uh like some liberal fantasy and like they were you know, <laughs> happy to see this when literally it's making the the, the left wing people look bad um but again it's so over the top and messy with its with its observation i don't think it's that effective of a satire because it's just really playing with basic archetypes from both sides as you can imagine left and right people um so it's not not good for that but i think what it is good for it's kind of like an old school like exploitation film like hmm. uh betty gilpin is the lead and uh, as one people captured and as you can imagine she survives longer than everyone else and uh gets revenge on her kidnappers and she's kind of just kicking ass and it's really fun. I think the violent is quite violent, um, but the violent violence looks really good despite the modest budget. And I, I was pretty entertained the whole time and I did enjoy it. So I think if you if, don't look for it for the satire, cause it's not really deep or certainly doesn't have anything to say beyond like, uh, doesn't it suck how partisan everything is? Isn't this ridiculous? Uh, yeah, there's nothing profound to find there. But if you just want to watch the action, uh, I thought it, I thought it ripped. And again, Universal released this is releasing this this week alongside their other films for twenty dollar rental. I think it's worth it if you're looking for something like that. Because again, I enjoyed the whole time. There's a lot of casting of other uh, famous people: Emma Roberts, Ike Barinholtz, Glenn mm. Howerton, Hilary Swank. But I like uh, all those people, yeah, me too. But uh, Betty Gilpin, Hilary gets, Swank. Damn. Yep. That's right. Oscar winner. I haven't heard from her in a while. No, we haven't. But uh, Gilpin gets by far the most screen time. And she's, uh, I think, really compelling. That's just kind of a badass who is actually almost more thoughtful than you'd think. And it's funny. I think a lot of people, uh, I saw this circle around. When you, when you finish the movie, you might think to yourself, hmm, I wonder who Betty Gilpin will vote for this year, her character. And it's not as immediately clear, despite her being, uh, you know, looped in with all the right wing people she's been associated with. So yeah, I, um, I, I think it's, I think it's good, but good for just it's uh, simple action and less so for its grand proclamations about our political climate. Yo, and good for Betty Gilpin, right? Uh, she's fantastic in glow. Um, definitely. I think we were wondering when she's going to start getting more and more opportunities and, uh, I'm glad that that she she got this chance and it's got a lot gotten a lot of buzz, gotten her name out there. Uh, I hope she gets more opportunities. I'll, I'll probably actually rent this um, and, and watch it this weekend coming up. So looking forward to that. Um, Dave, you also saw First Cow, 
I believe this is an A24 film, right? That's correct. Yes, First Cow premiered at Telluride. This is the latest film, Telluride last year, latest film from Kelly Reichert, who's the noted minimalist indie film directing legend, I guess you could say. Someone cleans up at the Spirit Awards from time to time. I actually haven't seen any of Kelly Reichert's movies, but like I feel like people talk about her all the time in film circles, but she's that's certainly a, a hole for me in seeing her films. Her last movie came out in 2016, Certain Women. Um, and this film takes place in the 1800s sometime in the Oregon Territory, in the mm-hmm. you know, obviously future state of Oregon. And it's at the, the height of the, the beaver trade. So that's kind of like your, your focus of when it's taking place. Hell yeah. And uh, from what I've gathered, a lot of her recent movies take place in the Pacific Northwest, though most are not period films like this. Um, but yeah, and it, it follows uh, John Magro, who plays this uh, character named Cookie Figowitz. Cookie is a, uh, a cook who's uh, with some uh, beaver trappers traveling with them. And he's uh, a more reserved uh uh, more, more, I guess, more thoughtful guy than the rugged mountain men that you'd expect ne- you need to be to survive out in, you know, the Western Territory, right? Mm. And he comes across early on with King Lu, a Chinese man played by Orion Lee, and uh, King Lu's like been on the run from other people, and like Cookie shows him some kindness, and they end up uh, meeting back up at like a, a, a local fort. And they kind of just strike up a uh, a friendship over their, I guess, their, you know, the kindness Cookie showed King Lou early on. And that friendship, they, they become like roommates, like this little shack King Lou has. And then from there, they uh, they kind of just get an idea. Re- idea. Really, it's King Lou. King Lou's very uh, enterprising, uh, thoughtful uh, guy, whereas, again, Cookie is just more of a, more keeps to himself. And the, 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 t- uh, the title of the film, First Cow, uh, is referring to this gorgeous uh gorgeous cows with this nice brown coat it's, it's the first it's the first cow in the territory um it's like you know like it was like shipped in and it's uh was shipped in by like the chief of the fort who's played by toby jones who's probably the most famous actor in the movie it's really a bunch of unknowns otherwise and you know, the first cow because toby jones you know he wanted some uh, milk for his, his tea he's a englishman and cookie and king uh king lou get this great idea to steal milk from this cow at mm. night and bake because cookie is a good cook and the movie is very uh I'll, that's the most i'll say about the plot but the movie is uh very methodical and slow to uh develop in the early goings and i, I guess that's a nothing I, I know for sure but from what i gathered that's a, a a hallmark of the way kelly reichert makes her movies it's a very thoughtful minimalist thing and it was you know, very cerebral, very, very green. You know, again, we're, in, we're in the, the deep forest and we're at this fort and mm-hmm. that's set up. But then once you kind of understand, once everything comes into focus, once you get what the first cow means, once they, Cookie and King Lu meet up and you realize they're going to start hawking big goods to people in the, in the, fur, uh, the, the fort that have been eaten like dog shit for who knows how long, like the movie clicks and I just have the biggest smile on my face. And I was like, this fucking <laughs> rules watching them get more and more money because they're because everyone can't get enough of these oily cakes they're baking and it was just really cool and i think it's important to note too uh the very first scene of the movie uh, ali shockwat of arrested development fame is walking on the beach with her dog and 
we now we assume later is present day Oregon, and her dog stumbles across of uh, two skeletons, kind of buried mm-hmm. to the surface, and you have that in your mind the whole time. And then as you watch the movie, that what that means comes into focus. And I, I think I thought it was a really great movie about a uh, friendship. I guess uh, the 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 struggle, the the brief struggle that can be being a small business owner. And so I guess there's a little little you know uh, capitalist uh, uh, comment there with stealing from the rich rich chief, the rich fort chief to to, to benefit your poor ass. You know, I guess you could see that there. But yeah, methodical movie looks great, and the acting is awesome. And like you know, uh, Cookie and King Lou, they have great chemistry. So I think and this damn, is for me that 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 cow man. You yeah, couldn't man. stop talking about how hot that cow was. Cow's fucking gorgeous, dude. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's not, it, it sounds like a great a great concept for film. Something different, you know? Yeah. Uh, which uh, I I love that A24 backs these, these filmmakers and these movies. I, I definitely want to check it out. I, I wish they would put it out on streaming. Like, out of all the movies we've been talking about, this is one of the ones that... That and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Like, if they were on streaming right now, buy it in a second. Sure. Uh, so, Yeah. Yeah, um, A24 said that they'll, they'll uh, re-release First Cow when that time comes. So that's great that they're standing by the film. And, you know, because A24 it never expands too much with their films. But, you know, given what, what's happened with the coronavirus, it was basically being sent to die from a box office point of view. So that's good that they're going to reinvest in it a little bit when, when that time comes. Um, for sure. But, yeah, I, I, right now, this is the, my number one movie of the year. You know, I've wow. seen, seen, like, I don't know. 16 17 movies this year this is my clear clear favorite so far so i think you know who knows how long it'll be but a few months from now uh, it'll be easier for everyone to see this again and i would er strongly urge people to do that i definitely can't wait to check it out and uh maybe if i see it we'll talk a little bit more about it um why don't we talk about some things we both did watch though and that's some some hbo television but we're starting with the new pope paolo sorrentino's i guess we'll say second installment of the Money yeah, Bernardo story, yeah. um, not not quite a. It's not listed as a season two, but um, yeah. certainly a sequel though. Yeah, it it was originally supposed to be season two of The Young Pope, and they kind of switched it up. And uh, it we if anyone that's been following the podcast knows that we adored The Young Pope. Um, thought it was thoughtful and uh, masterfully made and weird and visually stunning uh, yeah. really couldn't say enough good things about it we were very uh, excited for the new pub we didn't get to talk about the drop uh kind of fell on like a weird day being out on mondays for us to to really review it at a good time um but kind of watching it through i i, I don't think it, it met the the lofty standards of the young pope um if only because I think what I find most alluring and captivating about this show is when Jude Law is being Lenny Bernardo and kind of yeah. just stealing every single frame he's in. Um, and I found some of the stuff with Malkovich to be a bit of a, a slog at times um, and a bit redundant also um, up until the last couple episodes. But when, when this show clicks, um, there really is nothing like it on television, in my, yeah. in my opinion. And the, especially the last three episodes of this season, I thought were just masterful. How did you feel about the new Pope, the sequel? Yeah, I agree. You know, it um, from the jump, it really lives up to its name because it's 
not about Lenny. I mean, Lenny's present. Pius Thirteenth is present, but he's in a coma, literally for six of the episodes. I think that's longer than most people expected from the nine-episode season. You know, I, I think sure. that's a pretty safe thing to say. Um, it's I, I. That being said, I loved the pilot how they set up with a different new pope, uh, Francis the mm-hmm. uh, Second, or whatever his name was, and how they, they play for laughs. Someone, a pope, actually practicing what the Catholics prefer to preach mm-hmm. in terms of poverty and charity <laughs> and all that stuff. And then seeing just Foyello and everyone being like, uh, fuck that. Let's get this <laughs> fucker out of here. And then the show really quickly transitions to this whole new thing where, as you said, John Malkovich, the actual new Pope, titular new Pope is the focus, you know, Branix. And, I did not expect that character to have, you know, there's a lot of melancholy mm. going on with him. And they actually, I think they, they, they play that character really thoughtfully throughout the season because there's a lot of buildup going on. There's like, you know, theme, like the motif with the millipede. And uh, I like that characterization and I thought it was done well. But as you said, Jude Law as pious is truly a scene stealer. Like once Pius wakes up, you just like can't look away because the, the performance is, is just so tantalizing and already having history with Pius from the first season. Uh, you, you, you just kind of love it. And I, I really hope uh, Jude Law actually gets Emmy, nomi- Emmy attention for this this time. This would be supporting, limited series supporting. Because uh, he really is tremendous as, as Lenny. So and you you believe, I think it's important, you believe why he is so popular in the story, right? I really love yeah. the introduction of like him having like a st- like stands, you know, the people mm-hmm. with the sweatshirts. Yep. Like I thought that was that was a, a great touch. Um and as far as the side plots, I kinda loved all the nun nun stuff with yeah. the nuns going on strike. And I think a big part of that is that from the jump, the uh, title sequence, the intro, is them kind of like raving. Yeah. Like at night in front in front of like a in front of the the, the lit, lit up cross like that was amazing and you know the young pope had the same intro the whole time with a uh, Lenny of course walking through the hallway playing the Devlin cover of All on the Watchtower mm-hmm. this this season what we actually see in the visual changes episode to episode and when Pius wakes up we get a new twist on the All on the Watchtower in, ter- mm-hmm. in terms of like title sequencing it's some of the best shit i can remember and who knows how long like that was oh, sure. incredible and then we also get uh like just kind of funny like almost like deleted scenes for the credits you actually watch the whole credits because the credits are like playing stuff in general the music used in the show are awesome yeah the um you talk about just the the credit sequences the one i liked the most actually was when like the the mother of the nuns there the the midget was when you see her just kind of like by herself yeah. like listening to it with tapping her foot and then it, like cuts yeah. away and it cuts back awesome. and she's like going nuts i loved that um yeah you know i i think so i've never been a huge malkovich fan i guess i'll oh interesting I'll throw that out there I, I think i i can understand the talent i think just his, something about his like affect and personality never he's neurotic really, yeah captured me um obviously he's great at rounders and, and things like that he's he has one of the best all-time snl like holiday skits where he's like reading the the night before Christmas to all the kids and kind of like breaking it down like seriously it's very funny (laughs) sure I know he never really caught me and then I I think the way he plays 
uh he plays john paul the third in this and yep. uh the way he does that is just so well done and, and like you said thoughtful and the way that they use the characters in this show to say something about the church but also just about kind of like humanity in general like um you know brannick being this this person who's kind of haunted by this his addiction and how that played into the death of really like one of the only people he's ever like felt loved by and connected to in his life and how that isolated him from the only other people he ever really wanted to feel connected to right and then how how malkovich and uh cecil de france uh play off each other and their their budding relationship throughout and kind of like the the barriers of the role um and the the choices you make in your life and what you're trying to um what like what what you really want to get out of your life you know it kind of becomes like the theme of it for brannick in the end yeah he obviously wants to just feel accepted and seen and connected whereas lenny is this this person who wants to drive drive fanaticism drive belief drive right. the, the 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 message of god and the church of like these uh, the it is powerful and there can be power in believing and coming together and um I, th- I also really loved that as like a tie in to end the season, like the interplay of like where, what is the line between being like this, like saint, the savior, this like enigmatic figure, but then also that crossing a line for, to, for people to do inexcusable and horrible things, you know, to, to use that fanaticism as, right. as a weapon. It's, it's really thought provoking stuff. And of course it's, one of the probably the most beautiful shows on TV, the, they, they shoot like on, on the actual location. So they are actually in St. Peter's Basilica, actually in Venice for a lot of this stuff. It's right. It's pretty amazing. Like the, the setting of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Some really great moments for sure. You know, it, it, and having like the let Lenny's whole MO about fanaticism, having that come back uh, and kind of be the focus of his, reintroduction into the story uh, was really great because that harkens back to the young Pope and kind of the big revelation of the young Pope. But the young Pope is actually this super radical conservative. Uh-huh. Like it was just, it was an amazing flip at the time and seeing them still play it out now, I think uh, worked awesomely. And of course, you know, Sylvia Orlando is awesome as Voyella. Voyella, once oh, again, is a character that like you love or despise depending on what's happening. And mm. a big part of that's Orlando's, I think, perf- performance in terms of how he uh, plays off people and uh, modulates his voice and whatever it mm-hmm. might be. But another strong, strong season for that character as well. So, yeah, I'm, I mean... Do you do you think we get another one? Like there was a long wait b- b- between these seasons. Um, Jude Law wasn't EP this time around, mm-hmm. so maybe he he helped him. And if Paolo Sorrentino wants to do it again, you know, because Paolo, well, he, he writes, directs everything. He's he's total totally in control of this, like he is with all his movies. So mm-hmm. I, I I'd be curious to see if they 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 take another direction. You know, Diane Keaton was just in the first one. We assume Malkovich would not return for the third one, so maybe maybe they try it again. I I don't know. I'd say it probably doesn't happen, but I'd certainly welcome it just because it, it, it as you said, it's just unlike anything else. I mean, the the thing about I, I think it, the reason I don't believe there will be another one, I guess, is law seems to be the driving force of this, and it feels like it's a pretty clear ending that he's dead. 
at the end of this. Right. You know, that his his uh, exuberance as Pope and and how much he gives of himself kind of led to him having to like make this ultimate sacrifice. And Boyello ends up being the the Pope and feels like a true return to form for like the the politics and kind of what they're trying to drive at as like a criticism of the the Catholic Church. They would go from these two very thoughtful men to this very like standard kind yes. of hope and he even even frames himself as that when he's selling himself he's like we've had these two radical ones now we need that right down the middle the one you can you can predict um i don't think this show works without law because even even the scenes when when he wasn't really present in the show when he would show up and you kind of see him like spectating as this like ethereal being or this like spirit almost kind of witnessing Brannock or uh I'm forgetting the the girl's name who went and was like top like basically prostituting herself out to those oh uh, Esther yes Esther thank you um well, I always found that to be way more captivating than most of the stuff that was going on so I think without law unless he's playing kind of like that overall like s- spectral presence I don't think this show really works so and I think they probably all want to move on to more things I imagine part of why law was uh, only in half the season was probably he's been doing a lot of movies. I mean, he was Dumbledore. Um, he's just been he's, he's been in demand. So I, I can't imagine he wants to keep doing the same role. But maybe we'll see. I'd love to have him back. Yeah, man. So I'm hoping with this extended shutdown for a lot of things, people give this show uh, time. Heck, watch The Young Pope if you haven't too. You know, I mean, um, it's a uh, it, it, it's rewarding to watch because it is how unique it is both visually and stylistically. And as you said, there's such a central strong performance from law that uh, I just found it really satisfying once again. So big fan. Totally agree. Uh, Dave, did you find Westworld season three's premiere as satisfying as you did the new Pope? <laughs> <laughs> this show sucks. Well, Okay, so we we are known Westworld haters. So they they're really like rebooting this season, right? And which I respect. Yes, I I totally agree because you know I think our our main criticisms are the stakes of this show seem incredibly low for how high concept. I, I would going. just like to know what they are. Right. I don't even care. <laughs> so just care what the stakes are. I just like to understand exactly what they are. Right, and I, I guess maybe we we. I guess this this premiere sets that up a little bit more. Um, you know, they they bring in a lot of new people to this. We don't even see um, some of the characters from last season. I think we expected to see in this premiere, like sure. Tanny Newton. And I'm trying to remember because I don't even remember a lot of what happened in season two. I think I wiped it from my memory. But yeah. Tanny Newton is is conspicuously absent. It's a lot of um, following uh, Dolores around as she's Terminator asking this and. It's like yeah. really like an action pilot, uh, so sure. to speak, or a reboot of a show. You have Aaron Paul as this like down on his luck, trying to like make ends meet, like hitman or like gun for hire kind of, or uh, bank robber yep. for hire, uh, who's obviously dealing with like PTSD in some sense. And uh, Kid Cudi is making this guest appearance as his like um, yeah. old his, war buddy. Who, that's right. Lena Waithe and Marshawn Lynch showed up. Uh, yeah. Palm. Clementef was here. Um, Sons of Anarchy guy was here. Vincent Cassell, new character, wasn't even in this one. Yeah, a lot, lot of new faces. Of course, Bernard, Jeffrey mm-hmm. Wright, 
still here as well. Um, but yeah, if I remember right, a lot of the uh, other people like um, uh, uh, James Morrison, like a lot of those guys die, and Rodrigo, uh, like they died technically for real, but they'll probably come back soon. Like, let's be real. They all, all the actors <laughs> re-upped for this season. That's no secret. Right. So they'll be back somehow. Who the fuck knows? Who cares? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I respect the, uh, the uh, reintroduction, I guess, of the show. And like, again, uh, changing the setting, we're outside the park. And I think it's really telling that when the season three trailer dropped, everyone was like excited as fuck for this because it's, I think that's almost a, acknowledgement that the first two seasons of Westworld, even if you liked them, I don't think they lived up to the expectation of the potential of that, you know, Red Dead Redemption GTA TV show that we people kind of thought we were getting. Um, that being said, the show, once again, at least through this episode, is still playing everything super close to the vest that you just don't really understand like what we're supposed to care about. And that was kind of my issue with season two in particular, because season two is like, ah, you predicted some things, Jimmy Simpson and Ed Harris, you figure that out. Well, fuck you. We're going to make this really hard to predict. Now you'll have to watch the whole season. That's bad storytelling to, Mm -hmm. to, to, to use the Redditors to drive the way you make your twists. Lisa, uh, no, no, uh, Oh, Noah and Lisa Joy, they said that this is going to be a more straightforward season. Some of the advanced reviewers uh, don't necessarily agree with that, but obviously I'll still be watching because I'm curious. And uh, yeah, I just, I just would like to like to understand what the point is, <laughs> which is frustrating. And get get Tessa Thompson the fuck off this show. It's a waste of her time. Yeah, Tessa Thompson came in for one scene in this premiere and. She's she's fine. Um, I didn't really find. I mean, I thought the action scenes were pretty good, but I didn't really understand why I was caring about this or what I was yeah. watching. Um, and John and Gallagher. I agree. Nice to see yeah. you. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I'm. I, I guess I'm kind of just left confused still, and uh, I, I feel like that's the way I feel for a lot of the time when I watch Westworld. And yep. I kind of want to stop feeling that way when I watch this show. Yeah. Um, I guess I also, you know, so when when I think back to like Westworld season one, you know, I think a lot of it was like, it's a very intriguing concept, maybe not executed fully, but like the idea of like what makes us human. And and when you have these like sentient beings or these sentient robots, like how do you really like, where's the line, you know, and and what does it say about humanity? I don't think they ever really like drove that home home very well i guess they try to do that with ed harris's character the most and especially like flashing back to jimmy simpson and uh like the 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 devil evolution of of that character is is fascinating um but there's uh there's still something missing to me where i think uh, i've never really gotten dolores's character or really cared um you know they never commit to making her just a villain you know, I it, thought that was a missed opportunity last season. Make right. Dolores the actual bad person when she like breaks, you know, but they won't do that. She's still the hero. So maybe Aaron Paul brings a new dynamic with them mm-hmm. connecting. Uh, certainly should be a new dynamic. Hopefully that changes the focus. But yeah, I mean, as you're saying, like think of episode season two, like uh, Kitsuya, 
mm. you know, the, the Riddle of the Sphinx episode, I forget what it's called. Um, when they focus, the, the Peter Mulan episode as well, mm. uh, when, when they focus on, like you said, the humanity and like the more existential things that are so right there on the surface, right there to be explored, it's much more compelling because, again, this is a show with an unlimited budget and an amazing cast. And, you know, that's great. The problem is that the show doesn't seem to actually care about that as much. They're more concerned about this really meandering, again, hard to grasp plot. Remember uh, all the platitudes Anthony Hopkins would share with us as Ford, right? Mm-hmm. And like, none of that landed. No. And, you know, like the Kitsui episode almost was as close to the show gets to like a more procedural bottle episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you need to like, deconstruct your narrative but i just wish the narrative was more concerned about i think the things that people find interesting because right now the characters are hard to invest in because we just don't really understand what they want or why it matters so the general uh you know this aura of confusion still is with the show at least through the season three premiere so it's uh Ultimately, I just find it frustrating because this is HBO's now. This is the, this is their uh, prestige drama. This is their go-to thing. Thrones is gone. Veep is gone. This is this is their big thing, and mm-hmm. I just want it to be better. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I I, I think I I want to see them really shift to focus on other characters, the Dolores Bernard dynamic, um, and I guess they're not really a dynamic, but them as like the two central figures hasn't gripped me um but i do think tandy newton is a very interesting character um and tessa thompson a completely un- underutilized and maybe flesh that character out a bit i don't know um they, they introduce a lot of new people so um maybe aaron paul can inject some life and i, I did think aaron paul was good it's yeah. hard for me to look at him and not see jesse it's just kind of like one of those roles i think where he's so synonymous with the character like but... futuristic jesse almost you know still down on his luck True. still uh food wearing those jackets you know yeah <laughs> so uh, that's cool you know and if, if this season's just more of like a here's a we're in a sci-fi future setting just doing shit i think it'll it'll, it'll at least be entertaining i just again would just like to grasp the narrative better yeah i feel like uh I feel like maybe a direction they could take it if they if they do kind of keep Bernard and and Dolores as like the two central characters is just kind of like Bernard having to stop Dolores who's like this like Terminator like character at this point as we saw and like Bernard having to like accept his like lack of humanity like you kind of saw him beat the hell out of those yeah. guys and them facing off could be really interesting especially a different role for Jeffrey Wright who's usually this like sly kind of like understated performer uh seeing him kind of play up might be really interesting but we'll see i i think this is probably the uh, there's some interesting elements i'm a little bit more intrigued than usual so um sure maybe some positives for westworld um dave i saw you tweeting about did you get any any hate on that that tweet saying it still sucks (laughs) yes i did uh (laughs) one person said uh hold on uh, okay, dummy. <laughs> ah, there you go. Okay. And then well, friend of the show, Kai, said, why are you lying still, Dave? So, <laughs> I got ratio. Uh, one like, two two replies. Jeez. <laughs> uh, do, doing some big numbers. Dave, what should people be watching, listening to for next week? Obviously not going to the movies. No, we, we expect that AMC Walsh shut down. Uh, you can just throw out the movie calendar. We'll 
see what else gets released on VOD if anything brand new does. Uh, currently scheduled, though, is the banker for Apple TV+. Plus. So that probably is going to get more attention now than it previously would have. So I actually find that interesting. So we'll see. Um, again, pe- people still need to have access to Apple TV Plus to watch that. <laughs> uh, the Weeknd is dropping After Hours, his new album. That's still on as far as we know. That's exciting. That's a, a, bit, yeah. a, big, a, a bit, big thing for sure. I've liked everything um, I've heard from it. It sounds pretty good. Yeah, so and definitely a bit of a new direction for him, for Abel. So mm-hmm. that, that that's fun. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but then you know, time of recording is Monday, so you'll already have these premieres out. But HBO is kicking off The Plot Against America, six yes. episode miniseries from David Simon, which feels incredibly prescient from <laughs> trailer. So that's exciting. And also, uh, my my brilliant friend, season two is premiering on HBO. That's the uh, adaptation of the Atlanta Ferrante novel the uh, italian uh coming of age story i I really like season one so i'm interested to see how that goes as well um yeah that's what we got right now man so you know a lot of tv still in progress saul briar patch devs so i think still plain to watch so we'll see if any other movies pop up on vod but otherwise we'll be finding ways to fill the time don't worry about that we will fill the time indeed. And if you want to fill your time, hit that subscribe button on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod. And also go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod to consume the podcast any way you want at nostalgia pod on Twitter. And again, follow our best of 2020 uh, on Spotify, nostalgia best of 2020. See you next week. Stay safe out there. Yeah.